Hi, this is Ann Robertson, the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford in Westford, Massachusetts. This is the sermon that was preached this morning, Sunday, June 25th, at our regular Sunday morning service. It comes from Psalm 139. You hear the gospel reading on here, which kind of fits the theme also, but the real text is most of the 139th Psalm. I think we did verses 1 through 18. So that's the context. The title is There's Just No Escaping. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel, which comes from the gospel of Luke in the 12th chapter, verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Some of you know that I felt called into the ministry back when I was just 14 years old. And it happened while I was giving the sermon, my first one, for Youth Sunday in the North Situate Baptist Church in North Situate, Rhode Island. It really shouldn't have been called a sermon. It was more like a five-minute testimony about one of the paintings that was on the sanctuary wall. It was a simple picture of Jesus, but it was huge. And it was Jesus in the usual robe, sandals, shepherd's crook against a blue sky with clouds. I later learned that it was bad art, and they only had him up in the sanctuary because somebody in the congregation had painted them, and they didn't want him to feel bad, and <laughs> when he moved on, they moved them out. Um, but the painting captured my attention as a child, and when I sat in church and I couldn't really understand the sermon, I turned to the bad art Jesus, and we went on a fanciful journey together. I knew as I delivered those stumbling words in a sermon that was as technically poor as the art that I was speaking about, that God was calling me to keep telling people what it was like to travel with Jesus, that I was to preach about it, to teach about it, and to do whatever I could to help others climb into that picture in whatever way they could and discover a loving God who would show them wonders and would help them over the rough spots. As the rest of my high school and my college years progressed, I came to a lot of crossroads on my journey. As many of you know, I spent time as a fundamentalist and struggled with whether a woman belonged in pastoral ministry. At the end of college, I was kind of tired of school, and three more years of seminary didn't sound really appealing at that point. I got married was working to put him through school, moved frequently, and didn't have any time to go to seminary. So life went on, and I kept selecting roads as the different choices opened before me. Pleasant enough roads, most of them, well-traveled, good company along the way. Then one day on my road, I rounded the corner and sort of got hit by a train. An intestinal parasite picked up in the Soviet Union pinch sciatic nerve, panic attacks, and finally divorce in the space of a year. The train knocked me off all the paths into a thicket of thorns. My friends came and 
bloodied themselves trying to pick me up and carry me for a while. And taking turns, they finally brought me into a clearing where they could set me down and return to their own roads. They left me food and drink, and in time I could get up and even stand. As my faculties returned, I could see a worn but still legible sign at the far end of the clearing, and I went to look. And in a child's handwriting painted on a sky-blue board, it said, to seminary, with an arrow that curved round at the end like a shepherd's crook. I looked over toward where the arrow was pointing, and there was a tiny but definite path. It was overgrown in places, but somebody had left provisions along the way. Someone who knew the way was hard for somebody just gaining their strength. So I left the clearing and I followed the path, and I follow it still. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Wherever you are on your own life's journey this morning, whether your way is broad and comfortable, narrow and difficult, beautiful, frightening, even if you have, like me, been knocked off all the roads entirely and have found yourself bleeding in a thicket of thorns. Listen to the message of Psalm 139. You cannot go where God cannot come. In fact, you can't go anywhere without God beating you there. There's just no escaping God. To David, the writer of this psalm, that's a complex feeling. Much of the language in the psalm is the language of pursuit and of capture. Verse 5 says, You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. The word for hem me in is a sense of being besieged, beset, shut in. It's forceful, and you get the image of God running after David, surrounding him, blocking the exit, and then sort of picking him up by his shirt collar while he's running in the air. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. There's just no escaping. If I ascend to heaven, you are there, it says. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. Hold me fast. It's that same kind of language. It means to seize, to take possession. David still tries to hide. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night? Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. The message of the psalm is, you can't take a road that God can't take. You can't get to a place where God can't be. Even if you don't particularly want God there, tough. God's going to be there anyway. Even if you run from God, God will catch you. There's just no escaping. I believe that until we grasp that point, there isn't really much point in going on to the New Testament. Because the inevitable reality of God is the only backdrop against which the good news of Jesus Christ becomes truly good news. Let me spin that out a bit. 
As you read through the 2,000 plus years of history represented in the Old Testament, one theme shines out again and again. There is one God, ruler of all. God's name is Yahweh, which means I am. God is defined as the one who is, the real one, the one with substance, the one who exists. That's the one who's created everything else that there is. By imparting God's nature, things come into being, because to exist is the very name of God. Now, you may well have some problems with some of the things attributed to God in the Bible. Many of you have expressed those as we've had our second Sunday night meetings and as we've been reading through the Bible in a year. There are times when God seems capricious and unfair in what we read. And this is where we have to start paying more attention to the witness of the Hebrew scriptures. Modern readers very frequently respond with some variation of, well, I just can't worship a God like that. If that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with him. If you find yourself saying that, you need to go back and read it again, because you missed the point. The faith in the Hebrew scriptures proclaims that there is one God, period. For good or for ill, this is the God that you get. Look through the yellow pages all you want. You're not going to find a whole selection under God. There's one, and this is the one. If you ascend into heaven, Yahweh. If you descend into Sheol, the land of the dead, Yahweh. In the dark, in the light, under the sea, in the womb, it makes no difference. It's all Yahweh. You might prefer a world with no God at all. Tough. There's Yahweh. There's just no escaping. If you went up and said to King David, sorry, I just can't worship a God like that, you'd likely get either blank stares or peals of laughter. That's the God you get. Worship a non-being if you like, but if your problem with Yahweh is God's wrath, I hardly see what good it does not to give him what he wants. This is the, I'm not going there. Yahweh is God. There is no other. Better to ride out the bumps with a God who is than to look for help from a stone. Read the first 26 verses of Lamentations, chapter 3. We'll get there in a while. The writer, probably Jeremiah, goes on and on about all the terrible things God has done to him. He writes, I am one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He's driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Against me alone he turns his hand again and again all day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away and broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. On and on it goes. Until verse 21 when he suddenly says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Wow. Before we have any business unwrapping the gift in the New Testament, we've got to get a handle on that kind of faith. The kind of faith that looks God in the eye and says, you've broken all my bones, but I still hope in you, for you are faithful. Or as Job says in what I think is the most amazing line in the Bible, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Why? Because God is all there is to trust. There is only Yahweh. We can't make God go away by not, be not believing in him. 
God is there anyway. We can't render God ineffective by not paying attention. God will get our attention. There's no escaping. When you really have that sense down deep in your bones that we're all stuck with God, like it or not, believe it or not, acknowledge it or not, then the news of Jesus Christ comes as the glorious good news that it was meant to be. The Old Testament shows us that we were given over in marriage before our birth. We were betrothed to the one God, an arranged marriage that's not even annulled by death. Even in Sheol, the land of the dead, there's Yahweh. The New Testament tells us that the very nature of our betrothed is love. God is love. God loved us so much that God became human and died in our place. Because God's ways are higher than we can understand. As the psalm says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high that I cannot attain it. Because of that, we were afraid that God might be cruel or unjust or capricious. But fear not, says the good news. This is what God is like. This Jesus is how God behaves. Here, in a way you can understand, in human form, is who I am. This is the good news. There's no escaping God, but the good news of Jesus Christ is that when God hems us in behind and before and picks us up by the collar with our feet still running in the air, we discover that it's love that has caught us. When the day of the arranged marriage arrives, we discover that all our fears were for nothing. We hit the jackpot. The nature of the God we can't escape is love. That's the good news. That's the gospel that we proclaim. The Old Testament tells us that we can't escape God. The New Testament tells us that we don't want to. Where are you on your road this morning? Are you seeking? Are you fleeing? Are you lost? Are you determined, wistful about other roads, worried about a crossroads ahead? Maybe you're off the road entirely. You can't go where God is not. Make the best choices you know how to make, pray for God's leading, and leave the rest in God's hand. You can choose roads that'll be more painful than others, but you can't choose a road where God can't follow. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? There's just no escaping. God is there. God is here. God is love. Amen.